from the things aren't always as they may have first appear file comes the following story. Apparently Barbara Walters had uh, done a story on gender uh, roles in Kuwait several years before the Gulf's War and she noted that women customarily walked about 10 feet behind their husbands. She returned to Kuwait recently and uh, observed that the men now walked several yards behind their wives. And Miss Walters approached one of the women for an explanation. She said, this is marvelous. What enabled women here to achieve this reversal of roles? Was there some type of change in the government? To which they said, no, it wasn't that. She said, was it a spiritual awakening of some sort? She said, no, it wasn't that. She said, well, was it the Western influence uh, that had made this remarkable change, this wonderful change? And they said, no, it wasn't that either. She said, wasn't a change in government, no spiritual awakening, uh, no Western influence? What was it that made this remarkable change, this wonderful change, where women now walked ahead of their men? To which the Kuwaiti women said, landmines. Hey, well, now first of all, I'm just the messenger, I'm the reporter, okay? I'm just reporting the news. I'm just telling it the way it is. Second of all, it's not Mother's Day. So, you know, keep that in mind. But there's actually a point to this, and the point is this, is that things aren't always as they appear at first glance, and things aren't always as they are. The outward appearance doesn't always give us an accurate barometer of inner motivation. You know, what we see on the outside isn't always what is really going on in the heart. And uh, if you were with us last time, we began to take a look in Romans chapter 7 at a passage of Scripture that deals with Christians and the law. And that is the, the laws of God that have to do with, you know, the do's and the don'ts, so to speak. And uh, before we look at chapter 7, if you recall in Romans chapter 6, uh, we learned how to stop doing bad things king on the words know, reckon, and the last one is yield. And in a simple nutshell, the formula, so to speak, God's word tells us in order to stop doing bad things, there's three things that we have to apply in our life. Number one, we need to know that as Christians, as those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, that we, have, that we know that we have died to sin. That we have died to sin. The second thing is he told us to reckon or consider this a fact or reality and to live accordingly. We have died to sin. We're to know that. We're to reckon that or consider that in our heart that what God says is true. We're to bank on it as a fact. And then the last thing he tells us to do is to yield to God and his will rather than yielding to ourself and our desire to do that which is displeasing to God. That we are alive now to Christ and we are dead to sin. Now the transition that he makes now as we go to chapter 7, if you've got your Bibles open at the Romans 7, here in Romans 7 we learn how not to do good things. He tells us how to stop doing bad things, to yield ourselves to God and his will, not to yield ourselves as instruments, as he calls it, of unrighteousness. We'll see that more in Romans chapter 12. But to yield ourselves to God, his will, put God's will first before our will. And now we see in Romans chapter 7 that we're to learn how not to do good things. The problem with good things is that God knows our hearts and oftentimes the good things that we do from an outward perception aren't good at all because God knows the inner motivation. God knows when we're playing games. It's interesting, even before I became a Christian and I would go to church, God knew that I was playing the church game with him because he knew from the outside I was here or wherever it was that I was 
but I had no interest in being there. My heart was wrong and far from God. I could care less, but for whatever reason it was, whether it was outward pressure, whether it was trying to look good to other people, whether it was to play a game and negotiate with God, God, I'll do this for you on Sunday if you do this for me the rest of the week. You know, whatever those games are, see, but the thing is that God's not fooled by any of it. And that's why he always confronted the religious leaders, Jesus did, when he said, on the outside, you're all washed up, you're all cleaned up, you make everything look good, you're standing on the street corners, you're praying and you're giving and you're doing all the things and you're showing up at the temple and you're making sacrifices, blah, 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 blah. But in your heart, you're far from me. That's why there were those that stand before the Lord one day and he, and he says, but Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? Man, we cast out demons, we did this, we did that. With the other thing, he says, be gone from me, for I never knew you. Wow. There's a danger of playing the external game with God, but God isn't fooled because he knows our hearts. So here he's trying to warn us and tell us that even though we do good things on the outside, here's how we're, you know, we're not to do good things this way any longer, but we're to do them the way that God instructs us or informs us to do it. See, the problem that we're dealing with here is this whole idea of legalism. And if you recall, legalism is the extreme position that uh, believes one can become holy and somehow more pleasing to God by obeying a list of rules and regulations. You know, it's measuring spirituality by a list of do's and don'ts. Hey, I did this. I oh, went to church this morning. Check that off. Read my Bible for five minutes. Check that off. Uh, did, you know, went to a prayer group. Check that off. Uh, you know, I, I gave money this week. Check that off. You know, and always trying to check off a list of do's and don'ts to somehow or another be more pleasing to God. And what God is saying from, a, from that standpoint is, is that he's, he's not concerned about outward appearances. He's more concerned about the inner motivation. Because what legalism does is it suffocates the grace of God. And we're going to see that in great detail here. Legalism suffocates the grace of God. Remember this. Throughout the book of Romans and throughout the Bible, what we will learn and what we have already learned is this. That we are justified by faith. And faith alone. God declares a person just before God by faith and faith alone in the finished work of Christ upon the cross in your behalf or my behalf and for those of us who believe. Once we're justified, then the just live by faith. Justified by faith, and then the just live by faith. And as Galatians 2.20 says, and, you know, and, the, and the just shall live by faith, but the standpoint is I've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by my faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. And that is the key to Christian living. Once we put our faith and trust in Christ, the key to being, to being a joyful, abundant, living Christian is to allow Christ to live through us and just throw out the list of do's and don'ts and all the regulations and all the rules and allow Christ to live through us. That's the key to the abundant Christian life, that Jesus said, I came to bring you life and bring it abundantly. And as we were told, it's okay to smile. It's okay to clap. It's okay to praise God. You know what's amazing to me? I was driving up the 405 through at a meeting in Santa Monica last week, and I was driving up the 405, and, 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 and well, I wasn't driving, I was sitting on the 405, and, and, and I was looking around at all the people, and we're just sitting there, and, 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 I, and I noticed this car kept coming up next to me, and there's a lady in the car, and here's all I saw. And then she didn't have to hold the wheel. She wasn't going anywhere. She, she, was, she was excited. I don't know what she was listening to. I don't know what she was singing along with. But I just looked at it and I thought, you know what? If, the, if Christians 
had half the joy and enthusiasm and passion and energy that this lady had for whatever she was listening to, the world would go, wow, what? Amen. At least you said it. Amen. Preach it, brother. It's got to be from the heart. See, that external appearance, whatever, you know, but it's like, I'm thinking, man, look how exciting she, it was, she was so excited. And then when I look out, and sometimes I wonder, uh, it's okay, well, who are we looking for? Mrs. Vandercook, Mrs. Vandercook, there's Mrs. Vandercook, Mrs. Vandercook, nice to have you with us this morning, we'll look forward to your return, all right. See, that was a lot faster than having y'all squinting from this side trying to read the little whiteboard. All right. So here we go. Where are we at? Romans chapter 7. Um, oh, here's what we're going to talk about. Here's the outline. Romans chapter 7. Deliverance from legalism. Deliverance from the have to, I got to do this kind of attitude of Christian living. First of all, the authority of the law in verses uh, 1 through 6. We're going to take a look at that. We saw that in great depth last time. Just kind of quick overview. The ministry of the law will be our focus today, verses 7 through 13. And the inability of the law, verses 14 through 25, we will look at that um, next time. So anyway, you've got your Bibles, open it to Romans chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. It says, or do you not know, there it is again, Christian living depends upon Christian learning. We must know in order to apply. What he was asking was the question very simply, don't you know? Do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law? So he was taking them to a point of reference that they had that they could both understand and agree to, and that is this. Now, if you've read the law and you know the law, don't you know the law since you know the law? And sometimes we go, what? And it's like, well, you know, it's like, you know, don't you know what the Bible says? See, a lot of times we know what the Bible says, but we don't apply it in our life. And so it looks like to other people we don't know what the Bible says because the way we're living our life indicates we must not know what the Bible says because the way we're living indicates, do you know what the Bible says? It's like, well, yeah, I do know what the Bible says. Well, I wouldn't know by the way you're living because obviously the way you live indicates to me you must not know. So he's asking a very simple question. Don't you know? I'm speaking to those of you who know the law already. Don't you know what the law says, that a law has jurisdiction over a person as long as you live? Very simple. Married woman is bound by a law to her husband while he's living, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then if while her husband's living, she's joined to another man, she's called an adulteress, but if her husband dies, she's free from the law so though that she is not an adulteress though she is joined to another man. Therefore, connection, meaning this is the whole point that he's trying to make of that illustration, is this. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. In this passage, we learn as believers, first of all, and very clearly, he says that we are dead to the law, that the law no longer has authority over our life. Now, it doesn't give us a license, as we've already discussed, to live any way that we want to live. That's Romans chapter 6. God says, what, uh, can we continue to sin so a grace may increase? God says, may it never be. What's wrong with us? How, why would we even think that way? Because the wages of sin, he says, is death. Nothing good comes out of living sin, a sinful life. The only consequence and a, and a price has to be paid. There's only pain and anguish and suffering. So he says, you know what, you know, don't even think about that. But we're dead to the law for the purpose of what he's trying to teach us. We are now free from all the lists of do's and don'ts. 
but it doesn't mean that there aren't things that we shouldn't do and there aren't things we should do. It just means we're free from that, from an authority in our life. We are now uh, dead to the law and alive to Christ. We're sharing in his life. We share in the newness of his life or to walk in the newness of life. And turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, just for the purpose of summarizing this argument. We will get into more detail in a couple of weeks, but it says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And here's the purpose. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. What he's saying is that we are now dead to the law and we are alive to Christ. We no longer walk according to a list of do's and don'ts but we allow Christ to live in us and through us, and we walk according to the Spirit of God. And that's Romans chapter 8. It's a great chapter. You don't want to miss it because it is the key to Christian living, the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. As we yield to him and his power and his authority in our life, it comes naturally, the things that we should do as a Christian. It's not something that is forced. It's not something that is manufactured. It is not something that we have to sit down and come up with a list this week of how to be more Christ-like. We just yield to him, and he will take care of that for us. It's not something we have to do. So to be dead to the law doesn't mean that we live lawless lives. It simply means that our motivation and the dynamics of our life doesn't come from the law or external. The motivation and the dynamics of a Christian life comes from within, from our own hearts. That's why Paul said, allow Christ to live through us. We are now under grace and not under law. And that's the truth of the word of God. And he says that we're delivered from the law in verse 6. Go back to chapter 7, look what he says. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we're bound, so that we serve in newness, there it is again, we serve in newness of spirit and not oldness in the letter. Notice the the difference of quality of living a life pleasing to God. The old life is trying to figure out some way to please God. That's the letter of the law. We're sticking right to it. You know, didn't I do this? Don't I do that? Versus, you know what, the spirit of the law, which is, you know, goes much further than that. Remember, Jesus said this. He said that, you know, he said, if you, if you, uh, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. But the law said, thou shalt not murder. It was very simple. It was an external or outward action. Jesus took it a step further and said, but if you hate someone in your heart, you've committed murder. If you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. It went beyond just the outward appearance or the outward behavior to touch upon our hearts. That's why God said that his laws must be written on our hearts and not just something that's external on a piece of paper. Until our heart is changed, until our heart is made right with God, we're always going to be trying to live a a life that is based on just a list of things that either we come up with ourselves or someone else comes up for us. Here's what you need to do to be more pleasing to God. Follow these ten things and you're going to be okay. And then you do them and you only become frustrated. Why? Because as you attempt to do them, you do them and you might do them all one day and you may fail miserably with all of them the next day. It's just frustrating. It's a frustrating way to live your life, trying to live a life of do's and don'ts. So God's word must be written on our hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. As we look at this, we realize that we're delivered from the law. What that means very simply is this. Take a person, a simple illustration, take a person who was convicted of a crime and gets a life sentence. Let's say they're 25 years old when they're convicted of a crime, 
and they get a life sentence, they get three consecutive life sentences, whatever it is that you want to say, they got a life sentence without the eligibility of parole. Three years into pr the prison system, they're 28 years old, if they went in at 25, they die. That law no longer has authority over them. They're dead, they're freed from the law. The illustration is very simple. If you and I have died with Christ, we are now freed from the law and the constraints and the restrictions of the law. We are freed because we are bound to the law. Now we're freed from the law. But now we are what? We are bound to Christ. That's why he used the illustration of marriage. The woman's husband died. She was free to get remarried. She is now bound to another. The old, the, the, the old um, um, commitment, the old binding, so to speak, was behind, and now there's a new one. You and I who have put our faith and trust in Christ no longer are bound to the law and the authority of the law, but we are bound to Christ and his authority in our life. We have a new, and that's why the Bible says that Christ is a, a bridegroom. Illustration all throughout scripture that he's a bridegroom. And husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church. That the church is, is the bridegroom of Christ. That we are now married to him in essence or under his authority in our life. So as we go through this, <clears throat> and we get to Romans chapter 7, and we're going to look at how we are delivered then from legalism, which is this mentality that we have to continue to live a life based on do's and don'ts or a list of things that we need to do. There's a deliverance from this legalism that's going to take place. But the question that we have is, well, you know what? If we're dead to the law, then what was the purpose of the law? I mean, if you stop and think about it, you know, what, what was the purpose to it? And anybody who's, who's listening to, to Paul as this letter was read would say, well, wait a minute, if we're dead to the law, and the law no, matter, no longer has authority over our life, then what was the purpose of the law? Did it serve any purpose at all? And what's wonderful about this passage, as we look at it starting with um, uh, verse, um, starting with, well, here we go, starting with verse 7, wrong overhead, man, that messes me up every time. Starting with verse 7, we're going to see that there actually were four purposes of the law that he highlights in this particular section that also are true even of today. So let's look at them one at a time. <clears throat> the ministry of the law, the purpose of God's law. What's the purpose? Here it is right here. Starting with verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? He says, may it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. The first thing that we notice is this, that God's law reveals sin. This is extremely important and something that we need to pay attention to and understand very clearly. Romans 3.20 says this, Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Romans 4.15, Where there is no law neither is there violation. In James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, we read that the law is a mirror that reveals the inner man and shows us how dirty we really are. Have you ever had a kid that was out playing in the yard and they're just dirt from top of their head to the tip of their toes? They don't even know it, man. They're just slopping in the dirt. They're having a great time. They're just filthy dirty. And you say to them, you know what? Go look in the mirror. They don't even know how dirty they are. They don't even know how filthy they are. They don't even know how stained they are. They don't even know anything about what it is because they're so busy just having fun reveling in it sometimes that they don't even know what it is that happened. Or if somebody says, oh, you, got, you know, you got a cut. Is, you, is that a cut on your back? 
say, well, I, I, what do you mean? Is that a cat on my back? And you go and look. I was climbing up a ladder up on a roof the other day, and, and they had this thing, and it stabbed me in the back. And, uh, and that's not always fun when you're up 30 feet off the ground getting stabbed in the back, but you hang on anyway. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it was like, oh, you know, and, and it was like, oh, is that, well, is that a cut on your back? And it's like, well, you know what? I know I got hit in the back, but oh, and then you look in the mirror and you see, man, you know what? There's a cut there and it's bleeding and it's like, wow, you know, I'm feeling faint. No. Uh, <clears throat> but it's one of those things where you don't even see it sometimes until it's revealed to you. And that's the same as God's law. See, the purpose of God's law is revealed to reveal to us sin. The point is, God's law is an objective standard that reveals what we otherwise may refuse to see or we may miss entirely. I want you to notice something. In chapter 7, verse 7, notice what Paul uses to help illustrate this truth. And this is very important. I want to take it with it a step further, but notice what he uses. He doesn't use murder. He doesn't use stealing. He doesn't use lying or adultery to make his point. He uses the sin coveting. He says, I never would have known what coveting was until the law revealed to me that it was a sin before God. You follow that? Coveting is drastically different than the other nine commandments. The other nine commandments all have to do with outward appearance. But coveting strikes at the heart. And the sin of coveting leads to the breaking of other commandments. But the sin of coveting strikes at the heart. And God knows our hearts. That's why we can't play the God thing game. Because God knows our hearts. And he knows our heart even as we sit here and speak today. He knows whether you are here, but you are far away. He knows whether you are here or playing a game. He knows whether you are here to really seek and understand, is there a God? What's his plan? How do I get to know him? What's going on? Because I'm confused about all of it, and I'm really seeking him out and searching him. And we've already read Romans 10, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will not be disappointed. Whosoever seeks him shall also find him. Why? Because he is not far from any one of us. It is us, mankind, who we've learned is running from God. All we've got to do is stop running from him, stop and turn back to him, and he's right in front of us because he is pursuing each and every one of us. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. God is actively pursuing every human being and it's great love for humanity that motivates him to seek us out and to find us. We can find him because he's not far from us. If we stop running from him and turn around, which is the word repent means to turn around, and we'll see him right before us. And I want to notice an illustration that I think will, will sum up this whole argument of what it means that the law of God reveals sin. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. It's a wonderful story. It's a heartbreaking story when you understand it uh, in, the, in the depth in which we see it, but it's a wonderful story to illustrate to us that God's law have a purpose, and the purpose is to reveal sin in our life. It's an excellent example of the use of the law to reveal sin and show us a, a particular man his need for a Savior. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, we read this. 
And as he, speaking of Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, knelt before him, and began asking him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Doesn't it remind you of the question of Nicodemus who came to him at night and says, You know, Rabbi, what do I got to do to get into heaven? Here's the same question. I mean, you can't ask for a more specific question and a very specific answer. He says, What do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Lie. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And the young man said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these things from my youth up. Okay? And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, There's one thing that you lack. Go and sell your possessions. Go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. But at these words, his face fell and he went away grieved for he was one who owned much property. Wow. You following the story? First of all, Jesus answers the argument that many of us come up with or hear other people say and that's this. You know what? Well, wait a minute. I, I know good people. Maybe you're a good person. You do good things. I mean, notice what he says. This guy, you know, said, you know, basically, I'm a good person. And he went to Jesus and said, Jesus, you're a good person. You do good things. I know. I mean, you know, you, you, you raise people that haven't walked, and I've seen you open the eyes of the blind, and I've heard about you even raising the dead. And Jesus, you, you do good things. So you're a good person because you do good things. And he said, you know what? First of all, you need to sin. <laughs> Only God is good. He wasn't going to Jesus because he recognized who Jesus was. He was, Jesus was making an argument to him that was very simple. You know what? First of all, let's get something straight. Only God is good. Okay? Everybody else is a mess. It's the truth, including you and me. We're all messed up. We already read that. All of sin fall short of the glory of God. None are righteous. No, not one. All have gone astray. Each have turned our own way. I mean, on and on and on. Scripture goes. We're all messed. Only God is good. So God is in a category by himself. We're all in the other category. So notice what Jesus does to help him understand that he's not good. He said, well, you know what? You've heard this, that, and the other thing. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And check this out. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. You know what? There's a good guy. He did better than me. Probably better than a lot of us. Really? I'm thinking, nah, you know, it can't be. But Jesus never confronted him on any of that. This guy was a great guy. He was a guy that fit the category of living the outward appearance, and everything was fine. He did the list every day. Getting up today, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to dishonor my parents. You know, I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to commit murder. I'm going to follow all the commandments of God, and I'm going to be in good shape before God. But he knew something was wrong in his heart. And the reason I say that is because if he thought that keeping a list of do's and don'ts was enough to be right with God and to get into heaven... Why was he so troubled that he would go to ask Jesus, what do I got to do to get into heaven? If being good is enough, then why are we so uncertain about our future and our destiny if just doing good things is enough? Because God has put in the heart of every human being the fear of judgment and condemnation. We know in our hearts we're not as good as we want other people to believe that we are. And God knows it too. That's why he went to him and said, what do I got to do to get into heaven or have eternal life? I've done all these other things, but something's still wrong with me. All Jesus did was said, you know what, look at this. 
and his love and his compassion for him. God's law reveals sin because God loves people and he wants us to see us for who we really are. And this is what he says. There's one thing wrong with you. That's what he's saying. And the one thing wrong with you is this. You need to go and sell everything you possess. You need to give it all away. And then you need to come and follow me. Was selling everything that he had and giving it all away to the poor the thing that would make him right with God? No. We already know that because the Word of God says it's by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God so no one can boast. Giving all this stuff away, don't miss the point, giving it all away to the poor isn't what was going to make him right before God. No more than keeping the other commandments made him right before God. The purpose of Jesus sharing the law with him was so that it would reveal to him that he was exactly as God claims that he was and we are. He was a sinner that has fallen short of the glory of God on his way to condemnation and judgment in an eternity separated from God because he was stamped sinner in his mother's womb as he was conceived and he was a sinner every day after he came out of the womb. He was a sinner. He thought he was good, but God said, let me show you by my mirror, the objective standard of the law, that you're not as good as you think you are. He revealed to him his true condition in his heart. When I look at this, I realize how exciting this is from the standpoint that Jesus gave him the answer. And the answer was this. Young man, you must recognize that you're a sinner. You must recognize what God says about your condition to be true. You're not as good as you think you are. That's why you're asking, what more must I do to, to obtain eternal life? Your heart is wicked and deceitful and you're far from God. Even if you would sell everything and even if you would try to obey everything that's on the law, you can't do it because the law cannot save you, it can only condemn you. The purpose of God's law is to reveal to you and I that we're sinners before God. Once that's revealed, then we have an opportunity that comes after that in doing what? Recognizing what he says is true. All he had to do was say, God, you're right. Forgive me, for I am a sinner. That's the cry of a repentant heart that realizes they've fallen short of God's standard. If you've ever lied, if you've ever cheated, if you've ever stolen, if you've ever committed adultery, if you've ever had sex outside of marriage, if you've ever gotten drunk, I mean, go on and on and on. The list is there. If you've ever dishonored your mother and father, if you've not always kept God number one in your life, if you put yourself before God in his will, and we go through the whole list of things. If you've ever coveted your neighbor's goods or your neighbor's wife, which means very simply this, this man saw other people had stuff that he didn't have, and he worked hard to get it. We know he didn't lie. We know he didn't cheat. No, he didn't stole, but he saw something that we had, you had, and he worked for it so he could have it too. Material possessions were his God. His idol that came before God was material things. And all Jesus did through the law was reveal to him what he already knew in his heart, and that was something was missing, something was wrong, and what was wrong was that he put money and materialism and possessions before God. So Jesus said, all you got to do then is repent from your sin, sell everything, and then come and follow me. What a great opportunity for this young guy. He came to him and said, what do I got to do? Jesus said, here's what you got to do. Repent of your sin and then come and follow me. Notice, <laughs> notice the joy in the young man's life. I got the answer I was looking for. No, look what he did. He turned and he walked away because he owned much. 
and he grieved that that's what he had to do to be right with God. That's what he had to do to be right with God. Thou shalt not covet. Revealed to him he was a sinner before God. Revealed his sinfulness. Instead of recognizing it, instead of confessing his sin, instead of responding with faith to the finished work of Christ, he rejected Christ and went away lost. He went away unconverted. He went away still condemned. He went away still dead in Adam. He went away still dead in his sins. And the sad thing, all of his friends and family, one day at his funeral will say, he was such a good guy. And he was such a lost person. And he will share in an eternity away from God, condemned forever, because he rejected the word of God and he rejected the plan of God, and he rejected Jesus Christ as the only answer. But everybody in the world will come to his funeral one day and say, what a good guy he was. And God will say, but I knew his heart, and he was lost, and he was condemned. And I look at that and say, don't forget, you know, he, he like us, was already condemned. He, like us, you know, you know, when we look at it and consider it, he, like us, used a subjective standard to try to measure his own performance in his own life. He, like us, thinks we're okay. But God's law, as it's given to us, reveals to us we're not okay at all. We're a mess. We're lost. We're condemned. We're on our way to hell. We're judged before God. And we're going to spend the eternity separated from God unless we do two things. Recognize the word of God which reveals to us that we're sinners. Recognize that we're sinners and respond with faith to the finished work of Christ. That is the only way that any of us will ever obtain eternal life. The Word of God, the ministry of the law, is to reveal sin. See, the law is like a, a spiritual x-ray, like an MRI or a CAT scan. I want you to understand this. These tests don't cause broken bones or other illnesses. They merely reveal what is already present. Stop and think about that. God's law merely reveals to us what is already present in our life but we had no means of knowing or understanding until God shared his law with us to help us see how short we fall of his glory and his perfection. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. What's the purpose of the law? To reveal sin. Our, you know, once it's revealed, then we have a choice to make. We either recognize our sinfulness and respond with faith to the finished work of Christ and we're saved from the judgment of God, or as we saw with the rich young ruler, we reject this truth, think we're okay, that we'll be all our, our right on our own, uh, reject Christ as our Savior and be judged accordingly by God. All of humanity falls into one of these categories. We're either responder or we are a rejecter. We are either responding to the finished work of Christ and the Word of God and we're saved and we have eternal life or we reject the Word of God, what it reveals to us, and we continue to be lost and one day we'll experience eternal death for, for eternity. Eternal death. And the question is this, which category are you in? You're in one or the other. And it's important that we recognize that. See, God's love motivated him to give us his law so the law would reveal the sinfulness in our life so that we could respond accordingly. When you and I go to a doctor and he takes an x-ray, in love he comes and says, this is what I found on the x-ray. You now have a choice. You can respond to it accordingly or you can go into denial and you can walk out and pretend that it doesn't exist. All that the x-ray did was tell you what's really there. You have a choice to make. That's the free will of man. That's the love of, man, of, man for, of God for man. He says, hey, here's the deal. 
I'm telling you you're messed up, you either believe me or you don't. I'm telling you you're lost, that you're condemned, you either believe me or you don't. I'm revealing it to you very clearly because here's my standard, you either believe me or you don't. And the bottom line is if you believe me, then here's what you need to do next. You need to respond with faith to the finished work of Christ, and that's my plan to get you into heaven, either believe me or not. Number two, we also notice that the law arouses sin. Verses 8 and 9, back to Romans chapter 7. The law arouses sin. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And I once was alive apart from the law, but when commandment came, sin became alive and I died. Notice what Paul is saying. He's given us an insight into his personal life. For homework, read Philippians chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 1. What Paul is saying is this. I can relate to the thing about coveting because I did everything externally right. But there was something wrong in my heart too and God revealed that to me through his law and what he was saying was, you know what, before I read the law, I didn't even know that coveting was a sin. I'll give you a perfect illustration of this. I had done a chapel not long ago and, and it was with a group of guys and I was talking about how men, men today, those who have come to faith in Christ, can be men of God. And one of the blueprints of a godly man is a person who lives a life of sexual purity. If you're married, you, you, you contain your sexual activity to your spouse. If you're not married, you wait until you get married because all sexual activity outside of marriage is a sin. And I went through and showed them in the Word of God where God calls it sin. One of the men that were there went to a friend of his afterwards and he said, I never knew that. I never knew that. I'd never heard that. I never heard that, that it's wrong before God to have sex outside of marriage. So what, what do I got to do? It's simple. Stop doing it. It's like, you know, is there like an option B? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know some, some way I could still do it and still be right with God, you know? And that's the way the world thinks. I'm going to still do this and be right with God because I'm going to do six times this over here to somehow balance out this one thing that I really like to continue to do. But my point was, was this, and, and it's a very simple point. There are people who have never been exposed to the laws of God, who have never been exposed to the gospel, who when they're exposed to the laws of God, God's law reveals to them what it reveals to us, and that is that that's wrong. Would he recognize for the first time that that behavior alone, if that is true what you just said, I am guilty and I am a sinner just as God says I am. And I never knew that. Just as another time when I was sharing, to continue it further, that we've got to recognize we're sinners and then respond with faith to the finished work of Christ, that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh who died on the cross for our sins. For those who believe, we have everlasting life. Another gal said to me once, wait, did I hear you say this correctly? That Jesus Christ is God? Did I hear that? I said, yeah, you heard that. She goes, I'd never heard that before. I said, really? Where do you live? Where did you grow up? I mean, where are you from? She said, I grew up in the jungles of Brea. For those listening by tape, that's just a little community outside here in Southern California, just north on the 57 freeway, right at the Imperial Highway off-ramp. Okay. But the point... But the point is this. We live in a world today that doesn't know God, that doesn't know His Word, that doesn't know His commandments, 
that doesn't know his standard, that doesn't know Jesus as God in human flesh who came to die on the cross for the sins of humanity, that those who believe in him would not perish and have everlasting life. We live in a world today that doesn't know those things. And it is our responsibility to use the word of God and the laws of God to reveal in the heart of every human being that they're guilty as charged before God. And this is the purpose of Bible study. This is the purpose of learning so that we can go out and live it and apply it. When we're talking to somebody at work, when we're talking to somebody who's in our families, when we're talking to our neighbors and our friends, we're to use the word of God to reveal to them that what God says is true, that they are lost. They're not good people. They're lost and condemned. The reason they die is the wages of sin is death. The reason they're condemned before God is because they're sinners before God. There's nothing good in any one of us. And the evidence is overwhelming. I don't care what anybody says about all the goodness that's out there in the world. I don't see much of it. And even when we see some of it, the same person who may be doing something good over here, give you an example, we had a guy in our Bible study who gave somebody in a Bible study something one time and went, wow, you know, what a great guy this guy is. A month later, he's on the front page of every newspaper in some international drug conspiracy who was tra trafficking cocaine on teen charter flights and ended up going to prison. And when in prison, he hired, he, he hired a guard so he could use his cell phone so he can whack the judge and one of the people who witnessed or testified against him. And he's spending 40 years in, in prison without the eligibility of parole. But I still got people who say, but you know what, I knew him and he signed an autograph for my kid and he was a good guy. He was good here, but he was bad there. The point is this, there's nobody that's, that's good. We're all a mess somewhere. No matter how many good things we do over here, there's still that darkness in our heart that's called sin and condemns us before God. And we need to understand that's the truth of the Word of God. Every human being is lost. And it should give us a sense of urgency to understand that so that we have a sense of urgency in going and sharing with them what God says they need to do to be right with God. The ministry of the law is to reveal sin, and it arouses sin. That's what Paul said. He goes, man, you know what? He goes, once I found out that coveting was a sin, it was like, oh, I couldn't get my mind off the fact coveting was a sin. The more I thought about coveting being a sin, the more I wanted for other people's stuff. That's what he's saying here. Since we have a sinful nature, the law is bound to arouse that nature. The way a magnet draws steel. Think about this for a second. There's something in human nature called sin that wants to rebel whenever a law is given. I'm on a job site the other day, and there's signs all over the place that says, Do not touch wet paint. And I hate when it's oil-based, because it's a lot harder to wash off. You know what I'm saying? And we're walking on a job, and I bet you a dozen people went over to, oh yeah. It's wet. It is wet. Do not touch wet paint. If there wasn't a sign there, no one would have touched that wall. I mean, think about it. Where would you run over to a wall and go, hey, I think I'm going to touch it. That wall might have wet paint. Only time I'm going to touch that wall is if there's a sign that says, don't touch the wall wet paint. Give me another illustration. We're at the mall. We're at the mall, and this lady has this little kid. And she says to the little kid, Timmy, don't run. <laughs> Timmy is flying through the mall. You know, and it's like, if she wouldn't have said anything, Timmy probably wouldn't have ran. But she's like, Timmy, don't run. Timmy, don't run. Timmy, don't run. Timmy, Timmy, don't run. And he's running, and he's up on a planet, running around the planet, going, ah, you know. And it's like, you don't teach that. Why? Because it's our nature. Speed limits. Who, oh, oh, how many of me don't, you don't want me to go there? Because you're a good person. Not anymore. Listen to this. <coughs> Speed limits. What does 40 mean? 
40 to 50. What does 55 mean? 60, 65. I always hear this. I mean, have you ever been in a car with somebody and going, hey, uh, you know, speed limit's uh, 65. They go, yeah, but you know what? I got to figure it out. You could go up to 76. You know, 76, 78. And as long as you're not in the passing lane and you're just going with the flow of traffic, you can go, you know, what does 65 mean on the toll roads around here? 80 plus, baby. Woo! That's just like, man, that's like you're going there and people just flying by you. And then as a guy, it really bothers me. It arouses that sin nature because I'm thinking, they're going to beat me. <laughs> I, I don't know where they're going. I don't know what they're doing, but they're going to beat me there. And they're not even with us. I don't know. And I'm like falling, bam, you know, and I'm like at the end of the toll road going, but I should have got off three exits ago. But I beat them. You know, and it cost me another $3 to backtrack. But it's like, wh- why? I mean, that's the way it is. Last weekend, we went a couple of days out in the desert. We are golfing. Great place to go. You know, middle of summer. Nothing like it. Great rates. Um, <laughs> but it's a dry heat. That's all I got to tell you. But, uh, but if, you, if you've ever golfed, they got little signs. It says, you know, cart, stay on path. And you look, and there's cart, path. There's track marks everywhere. So I'm going on the path, and I'm thinking, nobody else is. I hate that. And you got to walk all the way over. It's 110 degrees. You know how far that ball is from where I'm? You know, I'm just like, so all of a sudden, you look around. And, people, and then there's a little thing that says carts, and then it has an arrow like this, so you don't drive up on the green. But as hard as they were, it wouldn't have mattered. But anyway, that's another question. But what's amazing to me is here's a little sign, and then I see cart paths that go like this, just right behind the sign, and then over. You know, I'm not going to stay in front of the sign, because then I'd be doing what the sign says, and there's something in my heart that says, nobody's going to tell me what to do. So they go around the back. What is the point? Very simple. That the law arouses sin. It arouses sin. When we're told we have to do something, we say, then I'm not going to do it. When we're told we can't do something, you say, yes, sir, watch this. When we're told, you know what? I mean, the first part of our marriage, I was only motivated by one thing. People said it never lasts. It never worked. We're going to make it work. Why? Because they said it wouldn't. Not even because I wanted it to at that point, but it was like, hey, we're going to make this work. Why? Because they said it wouldn't work. We're going to make this work, and we are going to love each other. It's going to work. See, but what a difference it is to, to love a person from your heart versus trying to love a person because another group of people say that it can't work and that you can't really love each other. Don't tell me I can't love her. I love her. Whether she likes it or not, I'm going to love her. See, and that's the whole point, isn't it? See, we live in a world today that says, here's what you've got to do to be right with God. And God says, Chuck, don't even go there or try it because you're going to be nothing but miserable and frustrated. What you've got to do to be right with me is recognize what I'm saying about you. You are dirty. You are filthy. You are rotten to the core. You are a sinner and you are separated by, from me. And my standard proves it and demonstrates it clearly. All you need to do is recognize it, repent, turn from it, turn to me, and respond with faith to the finished work of Christ. And you will be a child of mine to those who believe in his name. And I will write my commandments upon your heart, and it will be from your heart that you will serve me in newness of life. 
you won't do it because you have to. You won't do it because you're afraid to go to hell or you'll lose your relationship with me or you won't go to heaven or you'll have to go to purgatory or whatever all that stuff is people make up. So you won't serve me because of those reasons. You'll serve me because I've written my laws on your heart and because I first loved you, you can now love me and serve me with joy in your heart and gladness of purpose. Another thing the law does is the law kills. The law kills. What that means very simply in verses 10 and 11, this is a commandment which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. I want to share something very, very carefully and very clearly. Christians who try to live a life based on a list of do's and don'ts. Churches who try to teach that we must live a life based on a list of do's and don'ts are Christians and churches that kill the very grace of God. They suffocate God's grace. And when you suffocate God's grace, you kill the joy of walking in newness of life. We have the freedom to choose to live any way that we want. But the Word of God clearly warns us that there are benefits to right choices and consequence to bad choices. We can choose to serve God. We can choose to rebel against God. We can choose to come to church. We can choose to sleep in in the morning. We can choose to read our Bible, or we can choose to read the latest novel that's out there. We can choose to serve God and to serve others, or we can choose to live a selfish life and serve ourselves. That has nothing to do with whether we've been justified through faith in Christ. It has a lot to do with our spiritual maturity. It has a lot to do with understanding that Scripture teaches that, you know what, the wages of sin is death. There are consequences to wrong choices, but we have the freedom to make those choices in Christ. The exciting thing is, as the Spirit of God, as we yield to His power in our life, we will find that we will begin to do those things that are more in tune with what God wants us to do because God's goal in our life is that we become more like Jesus. But we have the freedom to choose to either be obedient or disobedient. But the Word of God says, if you love me, Jesus said, you obey my commandments. You'll do what is right because out of love, you'll do that which is pleasing to me. 1 Corinthians 6 says, don't you know that you've been bought with a price? that it was Jesus' death on the cross and his shed blood on our behalf that freed us from the bondage of sin. So, so as a result of that, you know, don't you think it would be appropriate to live a life pleasing to God so that you can glorify God and people can say, man, you're different. What's happened in your life? I've come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And you know what? And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by my faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I'm allowing him to live through me and I'm yielding to his will and not my will. But you know what? It's not a forced thing. It's not something we have to do. It's something that we should want to do because the benefits are outstanding. The joy that comes with it is wonderful. You know, legalism kills. Legalism scares people away. Telling people they've got to do something doesn't cut it. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Telling people they've got to come to church, telling people how many services they go to or what day they have to go to, or telling people to be in small groups and telling people what they have to do, when they have to do it. You know what? That's legalism. And it suffocates the grace of God. You know, and there's no joy in that. It kills. That's why legalistic churches die. They die because they scare everybody away. 
Why? Because you've got a bunch of old people that have been old in their faith for a long time and they've lost the joy of just living, living a life that's just pleasing to God and serving God out of joy. And they've, they've compounded things with a list of do's and don'ts. And then you've got a bunch of young people that come along and they put their faith and trust in Christ and they've got this joy of being saved and delivered from sin and looking forward to a new way of living. And the first thing that comes along is, okay, now you're a Christian. Here's the list that we've prepared for you to do. And they try to do it. They want to do it. They're sincere about doing it. But they fail miserably and they say, I can't live up to that standard anymore and I've got to go somewhere else. And they'll either go somewhere that understands grace or they'll just drop off the face of the, Christi- uh, of the Christian map, so to speak, because they can't live the Christian life and they've never been taught to live it through the power of Christ living within them and through them and not by a list of things that are demanded by others. We need to recognize that and understand that. It's important that we realize it because we've got to be careful that we don't become people who subtly fall for legalism. All of a sudden, I talk to people all the time that say, I heard so-and-so on the radio, and here's what so-and-so says, or I bought this book that so-and-so wrote, and we begin to quote human beings. And we begin to quote, well, this is what that pastor says, and this is what this pastor says, and this is what this church teaches, and you know what? And none of it will ever replace what the Word of God teaches. No human teacher can ever enable us to live the Christian life, only the Spirit of God within us. No human, no human teacher has a lock on all God's truth. God is incomprehensible to much of a degree. And the more I read a scripture, the more I study, the more I realize I don't know very much about God. But what I do know is all that I have to share with you, and this is what I know today, that the ministry of the law reveals sin, the ministry of the law arouses sin, the ministry of the law is kills and shows us that we can't live a legalistic Christian life and have any joy in our heart in the process. This is what the Word of God clearly teaches. And the last thing is this, it also in summation teaches us the sinfulness of sin. The sinfulness of sin in verse 12. So then the law is holy. Summarizing his whole argument. Hey, the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. God's law is good. And if God's good law reveals sin, arouses sin, kills the very spirit of serving Christ, we need to recognize it also reveals the sinfulness of sin. Listen to me. If there's one thing that's missing in our culture today is understanding the sinfulness of sin in light of a perfect and holy God. We come up with the most watered-down names for sin. Think about it. Stealing. Creative accounting. Adultery. They're having an affair. Homosexuality. It's an alternative lifestyle. See what I'm saying? Lying. Rationalization. We're going to rationalize that. Hey, listen to me. The law of God reveals the sinfulness of sin. God's standard hasn't changed. Sin is sin. And it is ugly. And it is an entanglement. And it is a snare. And it is deceptive. And it is destructive. And the wages of sin is still death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's the ministry of the law? To help us to see us as God sees us. That we're sinners, that we're separated from God, that we're condemned already, that we're judged. The law arouses sin. 
When we're told we can't do something, we want to do it. And the only reason we want to do it is because we're sinners and we've got a sin nature and God uses the law to help us to, to see that what he says is true. It kills. The law kills. You can't live a life pleasing to God by trying to keep a list of do's and don'ts. It'll kill you in the process. It'll kill you and destroy you in the process of trying to do it. And the law reveals the sinfulness of sin. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In closing, ask yourself this question. Have you responded to the revelation in your life that you're a sinner before God and have acknowledged that before God? You've responded and recognized it. You've repented from it. And having done that, have you then responded with faith to the finished work of Christ? believing that he died in your place on the cross, that without his death you would have been lost eternally in a place God calls hell. You were condemned and judged. Have you believed that in a moment in time? If you have, then praise God that you are a child of God to those who believe in his name, and you are dead to sin, and you are alive to Christ, and you can walk in the newness of life. Father, we just thank you for your word, the clarity of it. I just pray for those who are here and still struggling with their relationship, like the, the, like the young man who came to Jesus and said, what do I got to do to obtain eternal life? That the law would reveal to them that they're sinners. That the law would also reveal that they need to respond with faith to the finished work of Christ, believing that he died on the cross in their place and three days later rose from the dead. God, we just thank you for this good news, this great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We just pray also that as those who have put our faith and trust in Christ, that we'll now walk in the newness of life, not because it's a list of do's and don'ts, but because it comes from our heart and we're motivated to serve him because of what he's done in our place. Lord, we just thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.